Hello, welcome to Loving Susan, a podcast full of helpful ideas for those who love someone with a mental illness, such as depression, anxiety disorder, OCD, PTSD, BPD, bipolar, or schizophrenia. From Alexandra Georges, author of Mom and Me, My Journey with Mom Schizophrenia. Welcome to our show. Hello, I'm Alexandra and welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you tuned in again today. Today I'm going to talk about how can we best communicate with our loved one who has a mental illness. That is one of the hardest things and one of the most important things in our relationship with our loved one. So it's worthy of a good dive into some techniques and some insights that hopefully will help you with this. Um, you know, communication is tough in any relationship, let alone somebody who has a symptom, symptomatic with mental illness, right? And, uh, you know, the first thing I gotta tell you is that probably you're going to need to adjust the way you talk to your loved one, especially when they're symptomatic, right? If you haven't figured that out already, you will. <laughs> uh, you just You just don't talk to them the same way you talk to everybody else. So I wanna show you, talk to you today about some different ways to phrase things, to approach this, that will give you more success in your love relationship with your friend, your, your loved one. Now, you know, depending on their diagnosis and where they are in the recovery, and even on a given day, your communication may, requirements, let's say, will, cherry, will change. So on some days, your loved one may not really show many symptoms and may seem to be doing well you probably can use more regular, if I will say, you know, communication techniques, but when they're symptomatic, you're gonna to need to bring in a new set. So if they're feeling anxiety, if they're having delusions, if they're on a high mania or they're low depression, right? If they're in their OCD loop, right? If they're feeling those kind of symptoms and they're struggling with that, the way you approach them is gonna to need to be different in your words. First thing to note is less is more. The good old less is more. You wanna use as few words as possible to get your words across. So you're gonna to need to think about them. What do you really want to say to your loved one? What do you need to say to them? And what are the least number of words that you can use to say them? So you need to think and package your, your message. Because their brain is, you know, being uh, occupied with other you know, stimuli and events and you know thoughts and so their ability to take in your message is going to be compromised when they're symptomatic so you're going to have more success if you don't make a real long message if you just say this is you know in a short amount of words this is what I need to tell you so keep that in mind all right and that might mean you have to prioritize what is really the most important thing to get across and let go of a lot of stuff <laughs> Also give them time to take it in, right? Because again, there's a lot else going on in their brain and in their mood that may be affecting their ability to even hear it. So give them that space and ability. Also, positivity goes a long way. So you want to talk in the most positive terms as possible. That's gonna be so much better for anybody, especially somebody who's struggling with a mental illness. As they say, you track more bees with a spoonful of honey than a cup full of vinegar. That's so true, right? And I don't mean just giving a compliment so you can say something critical, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really trying to be as positive as you can with your loved one. And conversely, not being critical. 
I mean, really, guys, you got you got to put that away. And I know that's hard to do, but your loved one's going to be very sensitive to that, especially when they're they're dealing with some hard symptoms. Also, um, you know, positive su suggestions are actually more effective typically than negative. So, for instance, instead of saying, "Please stop playing your video games," it would be better to say. I need to have a few minutes of your attention so I can talk to you. See the difference? Don't even put down their video games. Just say, what positives do I need? I need, I need to talk to you for a couple minutes, right? That's a positive way to state what you need. So work on that one. Also try not to interrupt your loved one when they're talking. Let them have their words. It may take a lot of patience. They may need a lot of words, depending where they're at. If they're a manic person, they may be talking forever. Uh, depending on their symptoms, but let them have their, their time to get their words out and, and go ahead and listen and let them know you care and love them en enough to, to hear them. Also, don't smother them or, or try to control them with suggestions. And I see a lot of this with those who love someone with a mental illness because we want so much for our loved one to do better. And so sometimes we can be too kind of, you know, too many suggestions, too much, why don't you do this, why don't you do that. For them, that can feel like criticism, it can feel like control. So you're gonna need to let that one go. Again, prioritize. Think about the most important message you need to get across and just worry about that one. Also, focus on their strengths. What is great about your loved one, even with their illness? And really center in on that, build on that. That's so important for them talk about that with them. You know, I am so thankful for your sweetheart that I can tell that you care so much about what's going on in the world, what's going on in our family. I just love that about you. You know, okay, maybe they seem like they're overreacting, but it's because they care. That's a beautiful part of them, right? Really think about that. What's beautiful about them? I'm going to have a whole nother podcast about uh, celebrating our loved one as they are. So look for that in the future. Also, if they withdraw from you, don't take it personally. Your loved one may need time to recharge or just reduce stimulation because that may be affecting them. So, you know, I know that's hard. It may feel like a loss. You're losing communication with them. They're, they may not be able to give that to you. And so you might need to uh, strengthen your support system outside of your, you know, your family unit. So a support group, a therapist, more friends, more social time. You might need to lean on others so that you're not demanding so much out of your loved one. That may help you very much. Um, the other thing you need to learn is to communicate in the kind of syntax, if you will, of when you, I feel. So if there's something difficult you want to share you know, to, with your loved one, word it in that way of when you, I feel. Okay, so for example, my, my relationship with my mother was so out of balance in my younger 20s that uh, she would ask me to take her to dinner and buy her a present on my birthday, and I used to do it. <laughs> We'd gotten that unbalanced in our relationship. Once I started working on myself and learning to uh, take better care of myself and do better, you know, healthy boundaries with her, I said to her, Mom, when you asked me to treat you on my birthday with dinner and presents, I feel devalued and dismissed. See that? When you, I feel. And that's it. 
That's enough. She did get the message. She did learn. And eventually she learned, she treated me to a burger at a fast food place, which was just fantastic. I felt celebrated and it made me feel so happy. And it, it helped her to not just take, but also give. It helped our relationship to become more healthy and healed. Uh, so remember when you, I feel that's kind of classic psychology. Everybody learns that in psych classes, that that's how you talk to people. Also, it's not when you, I think, because thinking isn't an emotion. If you're saying when you, I think, you haven't figured out your emotions yet. So think about what are you really feeling? You need to own your part of this. You have feelings and those are okay. And it's good that you share what bothers you. All right. Also, it works beautifully with all people, not just people with mental illnesses. Do the, I do this at my office sometimes, I'll, especially the positive phrase. I'll say, when you I hear how well you understand the concepts, I feel uh, happy that we're going to succeed in this project. I said that to my coworkers, and they were like so elated. <laughs> so um, another way I could have said that to my mom on the birthday example is, Mom, when you treated me to an ice cream on my birthday, I felt celebrated and special. When you did this, I felt this. So it's a great way to communicate. It's wonderful for communicating uh, compliments too, really powerful. It's just amazing how well a person will receive the words when they're worded that way. Now I mentioned this in a previous podcast, another fantastic book on communication is called I Am Not Sick, I Don't Need Help by Javier Amador, spelled with an X. This is one of the best books I've read on loving and helping someone with a mental illness. And he talks about a LEAP method, L-E-A-P, he calls it. And this is kind of his formula for good communication. First L, listen, then E, empathize, then A, agree, and then P, partner. So what does that mean? So listen. All right, it is hard to listen. We want to talk. We want to get our viewpoint across, right? We got the great ideas. Well, you're going to need to put that aside with your loved one. You, it's going to be, you're going to have more success in your relationship with them and in building trust and in having a great partnership with them if you first listen. So what is their viewpoint? And not with judgment, not telling them or arguing or commentating, no, that's not true. No, really letting them have a full stage to talk and share their perspective. I don't care how bizarre or off the wall it is. This is what they think. This is truly what your loved one's thinking. And then reflecting back um, what you heard them say. Um, this builds trust with them. If they hear, okay, you really heard that I think the, the phones are bugged. You really hear that. I really believe that. And that's E, empathize. You empathize on not only their words, but their emotions. What are they feeling? Try to zero in on that. What are they feeling? Okay, what, what would you feel if you were thinking that? So, for example, my mother said to me, the doctors are all trying to kill me. An empathetic response would be, wow, that sounds very upsetting, Mom, that your doctors are not helping you be, to be well, but they're actually trying to kill you. Very scary. It must be very hard to trust them at all. And that's enough. I repeated back what she said and what she's feeling. A lot of fear. She knows that I heard her belief and how it's affecting her, which helps her trust that I, 
I love her enough to hear and, and understand her. So it's expressing back their viewpoint, their um, emotion. And then agree, you try to think of what can you both agree on. Now maybe we can't both agree on whether doctors are good or not, right? Her belief is what it is. So maybe it's something else like, we both would like her not to be in the hospital again. That could be a common goal, right? Or we both want her to be able to live in where she's living without any problems. So that could be a common goal. So think of what can you and your loved one agree on. You may not agree on the truth of their delusions, but you may be able to agree on an outcome you both would like to have, staying on meds. And then partner is you work with your loved one to say what can be a, a mutually agreed upon plan. Like for instance, well, perhaps you could take your meds so maybe you won't have to go back to the hospital. Or maybe you could take your meds so that it seems like we get along better when that happens and you can stay here, right? So you wanna find some way to partner with your loved one. And for more information, read Javier's book. There's also a website called leapinstitute.org. He has online videos on there with lots of great examples. And there's also a training class you can take. I highly recommend all of that. And that's a nice way to talk to your loved one about hard things and listen to them talk about hard things. The other skills that are very helpful with a when you have a loved one with a mental illness is de-escalation skills. So let's talk about that a little bit. So when your loved one has heightened symptoms, let's say they're very angry or they're very depressed or anxious, agitated, scared, or you are, you know, you're, you're ready to pull your hair out. Well, if you are, you're going to need to take some time to calm yourself, right? That might be uh, excusing yourself for a while to go find a way to get through that emotions. Journaling, uh, calling somebody who trusts, a therapist, a friend, taking a good walk, you know, taking a drive. You need to find what can soothe you when you're feeling that kind of that stressful, angry stage, right? And that's a really good skill to acquire for yourself. Now, if you're calm and your loved one isn't, how do you help them with their feeling like they're you know very angry or they're very upset or they're very depressed or they're suicidal right they're just something's not going good in their life well you want to try to stay quiet and say not a lot but listen listen a lot more than you speak all right go ahead and let them have the, the 10,000 words they want to get out and try to keep yourself as calm as possible and even physically move slowly that's calming. Uh, keep your voice calm, don't shout. And even, I would not have continuous direct eye contact with your loved one, because that can feel threatening to them. Be a little more soft, be a little more look away. Feel, feel very vulnerable to them, right? That will help them. I wouldn't even touch them necessarily, because that could feel threatening. They could slap your hand away, don't touch me, right? Don't do that. Go ahead, just be calm, be like a real soft, um, presence for them. I wouldn't shout. I wouldn't threaten them with anything. Don't respond with, oh, well, if you do this, don't, don't do that, kids. Mm -mm, gotta put that away. <laughs> also, don't block the doorway. I know they might be threatening to go take the car out and do something. If you block them, it's going to heighten it. I know you want to, but you can't do that. All right. I know it's really hard. 
um, and use this reflect back. What are they saying? I hear that you're very upset. I, 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 I understand this is very, very upsetting for you. I really get that. You know, reflect back what they're feeling and try to slowly coax them into a relieving action for them. How about if we take a breath? Can, will you breathe with me? All right. Can we, can we go sit down in the living room? Can we just take a little walk outside? Can I walk with you? Right. Um, would you feel safe going to the emergency room with me? Right. Or I don't know if you know about the living room. A lot of Nomni chapters have this wonderful thing called the living room, which is a place, it's an ER alternative that a person who's symptomatic with a mental illness can go to and um, a trained um, volunteer really helps them with their crisis, if you will. They, and uh, they kind of talk them through it, help them get uh, really deescalate and help them get calmer. Uh, one of my friends, he actually volunteers at the living room and he says about 95% of the time, the person, people he deals with go home. They go home better. It's amazing how just a safe place can be so therapeutic for people. So you might say, how about if we take a drive to the living room? Look that up and see if there's one in your area. So those are all some de-escalation things you can do. Now some other uh, common communication pitfalls that we want to stay away from. These are all from this great book called The Complete Family Guide to Schizophrenia by Kim Muser and Susan Gingrich. And I'll go through these with you. Try to avoid shoulds and musts. Well, you should do this. You must do this. That feels controlling, the must, you must, right? And kind of shaming, you should have. You should have figured that out, right? Those send negative kind of put down messages. So instead of saying, you should know when to put the trash out. Instead say, I would really appreciate it if you would take out the trash every night after dinner. Okay, don't say you should, don't say you must. See if you can really get those out of your vocabulary. Also mixing positive with negatives is not a very good idea. For instance, saying, you look nice today, but why'd you wear those shoes? Well, those, those just don't feel good when people do that, do they? No, just say something positive. I really like the outfit you're wearing today. Boom, that's it. That feels great, right? Well, again, this is for all people, not just people with mental illnesses. Um, also, don't speak for others. For instance, saying, we're concerned that you've been sleeping a lot lately. Because a person feels kind of ganged up, like you're all getting together discussing them, right? Instead, just speak for yourself. I am concerned that you've been sleeping a lot lately. I had this happen to me recently. Somebody said, we all talked about it and decided this. And I did feel a little bit ganged up against. It wasn't, it didn't feel so good. So, yeah. Also, mind reading is not so good. For instance, you look angry with me because I forgot to buy your favorite snack. Your, your, your mind reading, you don't know exactly what they're feeling. So instead say, you look angry. Are you feeling that way? Instead, and call it out. You know, don't say, I know what you're feeling. That feels offensive. And good old criticism, right, is not good, right? So for instance, instead of saying, you're so inconsiderate, Say what you feel. I feel upset when you, when I, see your dirty socks on the kitchen table. I would appreciate if you would put them in the laundry room. Okay, so remember the when you, I feel. Uh, dwelling on the past. That is just never nice. It's like a person can never get out of it. So instead of saying, you're not coming for Christmas, just like you blew us off for Thanksgiving, your sister's graduation, and Father's Day. 
Oh, then. Okay. Does that feel good? No. It's just say, I'm disappointed that you don't plan to join us for Christmas this year. Is there anything we can do that would help you reconsider? So just put the past behind and talk about what's now. Much, much, it'll be much more successful and more inviting to your loved one. Also, overgeneralization isn't good. So instead of saying, you never eat dinner with me, are you always or you never, right, those things? Mm -mm. Say specifically, um, I, I missed you joining me for dinner the past two nights. Talk about the here and now and make it, you know, what is the truth? Don't make it, again, no, no nevers and always. Also, uh, it's not a good idea to argue with them about their delusions because they believe those delusions. Their brain is giving them those signals and they feel very real to them and all that's going to do is make them mad. <laughs> I know, I did it. So instead of saying, there's no reason to be afraid of the police, instead of saying, I'm sorry you feel that way, I'd, I'd like to help you with that, right? Or instead of saying, there are no snakes under the bed, how about saying, well, I know you believe there are snakes under the bed, but I don't see any and I doubt that they are there. See, now that's not really arguing. It's saying, I know you think this, here's my perspective. That's another way to approach it. It's not saying you're wrong. Um, also, bringing up multiple problems at one time is going to be overwhelming for your loved one. That's why I say prioritize. So instead of saying, you stay in your bed till noon, you don't take your medicine, and you haven't showered in a week. Okay, that's a lot of negativity. So what is the most important? Probably the meds. So how about saying, I'm worried that you haven't taken your medication in three days. Okay, that's going to be more successful. It's going to take work, friends. <laughs> you got to think about stuff a lot more. Also, giving inconsistent verbal and nonverbal signs. So instead of like saying, it's okay with me if you go to Hawaii while sighing and rolling your eyes. Okay, they know you're not, it's not okay. Just say the truth. Well, I don't really feel good about you moving to Hawaii. Okay. So these are all some great techniques for communication. A lot to, a lot to think of and practice and very much easier said than done, I know. And uh, something I'm always working on myself and learning to do a better job communicating with everybody, especially those with mental illnesses. And uh, I hope this helps you a little bit to think about some ways you are wording things that maybe you could word a little better and have greater success in your relationship with your loved one. I'd love to hear from you. I always am happy to get feedback. You can email me at G-E-O-R-G-A-S as in Sam at Comcast.net and I'll be happy to answer your email and check back again next time for some more helpful advice for your, for your life. And with that, have a blessed day. Take care.